While you're standing, if you will open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah in the 40th chapter, we're going to read from verse 28 through verse 31. And I appreciated that choir today. I leaned over to my daughter because she's 16 and they're from a different generation. I said, that's gospel music. We clap our hands to that. <laughs> I, I, I was telling a couple people this. I said, the older I get, or, or let me say it this way, the more new school I get in some ways, the more old school I get in my worship. Sometimes I don't need all that. I just give me a beat, give me an organ, and get out the way and let me praise God for a little bit. Amen? <laughs> if you are there, simply say, I am there. It says this, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Uh, even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. Here's where we're going to end today. But those who wait on the Lord. Maybe we just pause there for a second. <laughs> shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not become weary. They shall walk and not faint. I do believe we have a word of the Lord for somebody. It's time for your comeback. Can somebody give the Lord a round of applause? It's time for your comeback. I feel something in the Holy Ghost right there. Come on, can we just take 30 seconds and just praise God? Come on, open your mouth for a bit. Lift those hands up to heaven. Use those vocal cords to utter something out and say, it's time for my comeback. If you would simply smile at three people and take your seat, I don't imagine we'll be sitting very long. And I give you all permission to interrupt this service should God give you your victory. The book of Isaiah is a book that is broken into two parts. The first part of the book, God uses the prophet to expose the rebellion, idolatry, and injustice of the nation of Israel. As part of this exposure, judgment would come to Israel, which would result in them being taken into captivity under the rulership of foreign powers. The second part of the book is a prophetic declaration of God's promise to deliver them and restore the nation. So we see the prophecy that is spoken of through chapters 1 through 13 fulfill itself now in chapter 39. King Hezekiah had invited the leaders of Babylon to see his kingdom in an attempt to impress them so that they would not overthrow him, but realize that they were good partners. So he shows them the treasury and all the gold and 
jewels that had been remaining since the reign of Solomon. He shows them the temples that were very lavish and decorated with gold and were appreciated. And he goes so far to even take them into the depository of weapons to show them how strong the army of Israel was and this prideful gesture to pander to someone other than God results in Hezekiah and the nation of Israel ending in its existence and being taken into captivity. First, they are taken into captivity by Assyria. And in the Assyrian occupation, the rulership was one that was very hard and very taxing on the people of Israel. They were military rulers, so they used physical intimidation and death and force to bring the people of Israel under subjection. Then, not much time after that, Babylon overtakes Assyria and brings a different kind of oppression. Babylon was not an empire that desired to kill their foes, but instead desired to rule them through influence and governance and culture and identity. They didn't want to overcome them in death. They wanted to eliminate who they were entirely. Their plan was more to change the practices, religions, and traditions of other civilizations of people over the course of generations. And their plan was often three generations deep. If we can take the young men, then they'll never mature. And if they never mature, they'll never become old men, which means that the people will have no wise elders to guide them in the right way. And when they forget their God and forget their ways and forget their identity and forget their practice, they will be conquered. And at that time, they will never make a comeback. All of this happened, though, based upon the warning, the prophetic warning of the prophet Isaiah, uh, the rulership of Assyria and Babylon did not happen because Assyria and Babylon were world leaders. It happened because the nation of Israel left the protection of God and chose their own ways instead of him. So God tells them, you will be conquered and you will come under the rulership of Assyria and Babylon. And this prophecy now fulfills itself. And it's also important to understand the more personal side of this judgment. Because of the actions of the leaders of Israel during that period, now they lost their children, their children's children's, and the generations to come would suffer. I said this just a second ago. The older I get, the more old school I get. Why is that? Because in this generation of contemporized Christianity, you see the exit being greater than the entrance. But I remember a generation where there were just as many old people serving God as there was young people serving God. And I, some say I want to be a young church but I don't think that's the kind of church we should be. We should have people that have been serving God 20 minutes and people that have been serving God for 80 years because that is the walk of faithfulness. Amen. And someday, should the Lord tarry, I want to be one of those old people. 
cold in the church during summer. Don't talk too much. Wrapped in a blanket, 87 years old, eating dinner at 4.15 p.m. And you want to know what? I'll have stories of a whole life of serving God. And if you need an old man to pray for you, I can tell you how the Lord is faithful and how he's brought my children and their children and their children through it. We ought to thank God for the elderly in our church that say, I know one thing, that God has never leave me. Polycarp, who was a first century prophet, said this when he was being sentenced to death. They said, what have you to say of your death now? He said, 76 years have I served my Lord and he has never forsaken me. How shall it be that I forsake him now? The promise now comes. In chapter 40, it shifts from judgment to prophetical promise. We see this happen a couple of times throughout scripture because even after God tells Adam, this day you shall surely die, which means that he would not live forever anymore. He immediately brings a promise of salvation by the slain of a lamb and covering him by the blood of the slain. So Isaiah chapter 40 does exactly the same thing. It gives a prophecy that speaks of the restoration of the kingdom of Israel and the restoration of it as a nation. But now the promise is not that of a political or governing type, but rather the promise speaks of one who is despised and rejected, casted down, and for the sake of our iniquities, he is put to death. And for our transgressions, he is whipped and beaten. And that prophecy, as you and I know, is the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And this prophecy not only is for the nation, but it extends and it says a new thing that had not been said up until that point. And that is that this pro promise of salvation was for the whole world. And it would come through his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. When the church forgets that we are here because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we lose all power, all hope, and all justice. The nation of Israel suffered that loss, and that loss was great. And I'll say this and move on. I'm not political, but I'm about to say a nation statement. Is that all right? This country has slowly slipped down a slippery slope in this generation where it has turned its back on God, its laws, and the word of God, and we are suffering because of it. The issues that we are dealing with as a society are not the result of right versus left, Democrat versus Republican. We don't have a skin problem in America. We have a sin problem and we are paying the debts for it. The Bible says God is not easily mocked for you shall reap what you sow. So whenever we see what's going on, don't make an enemy of the people that are on the other aisle or of a different ideological persuasion. This is our fault. And if we say, no, this isn't the church fault, sure it is. Because we stop praying for our nation, praying for our leaders, and praying for those who have ruled over us. And you're going, Mingle, who are you to say that? It's in our songs. It's about us now. And when we stop acknowledging the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for his place, we stop respecting the places of everyone else. Somebody say amen. 
So in the scripture, we read after verse 40 that there's a promise that's coming now. And that is that restoration would come through this promise that would come soon after. And it even says his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is what's spoken of in the book of Luke those hundreds of years later to be fulfilled. And we are here today, listen, as products of our past and as conditions of our present. Within the crowd of us that are gathered on this day, there are many stories. We all got a story. Within this crowd, there's stories of triumph and victory. But there's also stories of pain and of sin and of redemption. There is anything we all share. It is that we have all been in each of these categories in our life. And if we continue to live, we may be in one of those again. God's grace is sufficient though. So others might see this and see this hour as a season of loss or a season of loneliness or a season of rejection. And someone may be continually falling into a pit of failure and sin because they are overcome by weakness and temptation. They can't fight off. But here's what I want you to get today before we move forward. The enemy wants desperately for you to close your ears and shut your hearts to the message the Lord has for you today. And from the moment you walked in here, the enemy has desired that you not be moved, not be blessed, and not hear the word of God. But today, PFAC, we have news for the enemy. Let me make it more specific. We have news for Satan, his devils, and the armies of hell. Today is not a day of failure. Today is not a day of defeat. Today is the day for a comeback. A comeback that will change the direction of your life. A comeback that will break chains that have kept you in bondage. A comeback that will restore what you've lost. A comeback that brings your peace back, brings your hope back, brings your joy back. I'm not talking about tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. Today is your day for a comeback. Look at three people and tell them it's your day for a comeback. It's your day for a comeback. In order to make the comeback God desires for us in our lives, we must remember God first. You cannot have victory unless you remember God. You cannot have victory unless, as we were speaking even this Thursday, that you abide in him. As a matter of fact, we said, God don't hear your prayers unless you're abided in him. And, and it was a little quiet in the room. I said, that's not from the first book of Mingo. That's straight out of the word of God. I know we like to think that we can sin and live however we want and then God's just going to answer every prayer, but that's not how it works. We said you need to abide in him because some of us will jump, scream, and shout every single week, but because we don't abide in him, he'll say, I don't know you, you worker of iniquity. So in order for us to have victory, we got to remember God always. Uh, we started this by reading Isaiah 40, 28, and the first statement in there is, have you not known? So if you don't know God, you don't know victory. Someone says, why am I defeated? I'll rebuttal the question, do you know God? When the enemy wants to stop your comeback, listen, 
He tries to get you to forget what you already know about God. He wants you to forget all the times that God has been faithful already. He wants you to forget all the prayers that God has already answered. He wants you to forget how his presence feels like. He wants you to forget the power of the Holy Ghost that imbibes inside of you. And that's why it's important that we pray and we shout and we sing and we dance and we speak in tongues. Because when we declare the glory of God in the house of God, we remember who he is. See, you're not praising just because the song is played right. You're not, see, you're not praising just because the beat was right. You're not praising just because the lights look good. But there's some people in this house that said, even if you shut the light off, even if you're the playoff beat, I'm going to praise God because I know that he is worthy. Do I have any witnesses here today? Can somebody praise God because you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. Oh, I know some of us get amnesia sometimes, but is there anybody that says when I think of the goodness of Jesus? Oh, I think I need 50 more that are still warming the benches. That seat's warm enough. It's time for you to stand up and remember all that God has done in your life and give him praise for it. Said, I know that you have been faithful. You've been better than good. You've been better than, better than, better than good. I'm waiting for somebody to open your mouth, swallow your pride, and give God what he's worthy of. Said, I know you've been good to me. Oh, see, and I feel good praise is all right. But and I know praise is better because it doesn't matter how I feel. I know he's worthy. I know he's worthy. You're good. Have you not known? Oh, baby, you can praise your way out of a trial. You can shout your way out of a trial. You can dance your way out of a trial. You think you're going to overcome sitting there with your arms crossed and your long face? If you just learn how to praise God for what you know, victory will come into your life. Somebody give them glory. We're going to be old school today. Is that all right? We had old school music. It's time for some old school preaching today. Oh, Jesus. We become so infatuated with blessing and increase. And God, what have you done for me today? And you, we don't appreciate God anymore. If he don't do something for us today, we start questioning his existence. Well, if you don't remember what he's done yesterday, what makes you think you're going to appreciate what he does today? Sometimes God has to hold back his blessings because he says, I keep spoiling you with what I give you. There was a man who was once praying before the Lord and he was crying out to God for months that he would get a better job. And he said, Lord, answer me. And God finally answered him. And he says, you haven't been faithful 
to me with the one you got, why would I spoil you with more? Have we not known? And the next thing it says in that scripture is, have you not heard? You know why the preaching of the word of God is important? Because it makes us hear. Because it makes us listen. I'm going to tell you this. There's sometimes that I come into the house of God and I might not think I need a word, but certainly that's the day I need it the most. I need my ears to be unplugged and my heart to be open to what thus saith the Lord, whether it feel good or feel bad. I know it's still going to be good for me. Amen. Oh, as a matter of fact, if I just get what I want all the time, when will I ever get what I actually need? So sometimes mama and daddy got to feed their kids what they need to eat instead of what they want to eat. And you know what would be really good right now? If we would just tell pastor, serve what the Lord tells you to cook. Don't come cook us dessert every week. You don't have to, Pastor. Give me my peas and carrots and corn when I need it. And when I sit there stubborn and cross my arms, don't let me get up from the table until I'm hungry enough to put it. Anybody like that? My mama used to say, if you're rejecting your food, that doesn't mean you're picky. That just means you're not hungry enough. Uh, what, what, what would she say? The, the food's getting cold. One of two things is going to break, right? You or your food, but if you don't knock it off, you're going to eat broken food. And she would sit us there, and we had a microwave, and she wouldn't let us heat it back up. That's old school parenting. Now we got to give our kids ribbons just because they eat breakfast. In a trophy because they decided to say hello that good morning. And then we wonder what's wrong with our families. This ain't even what that message is about. <laughs> but you want to know? This is how parenting needs to be sometimes. You're going to hear me until you know. And then once you know, you ain't going to want to hear me. All the old school parents say Amen. Watch this, all you young kids, you're going to like this. I'm not saying we need to do this, but all you old school parents, who got whooped when you were a kid? Y'all kids should turn around and see all those hands. Anybody ever got smacked by your parents so you don't go bad? You ever stop and go, what did I do? What did they say? You're going to do something. Right? Right? <laughs> we got kids now that are guilty and look innocent. Some of us were innocent. We just always look guilty, huh? <laughs> my dad, one time, my, my brother broke a window because him and my cousin were playing football in the house. And we had a big bay window that was only about 12 inches off the ground, and it was nothing but window. And, and my mom tells my cousin and my brother, and I'm just sitting there on the sofa looking at him, just watching the football go back and forth. I'm no more than six years old. And my mom says, if you guys break that window, I'm going to tell your dad. We already know what that meant. If you were a little boy, you wanted to get whooped by your mom. You didn't want to get whooped by your daddy. And they were doing good for a while. Then my cousin threw a long throw, a Hail Mary, and Robert landed in the end zone, which was outside of the house through the window. 
and he broke the window, but he didn't break it hours before my dad showed up. He broke it as my dad got home. So my dad's pulling up and my brother's pulling out of the window. And when my dad walked in, it was like one smooth Indiana Jones whip shot. He took that belt off, spanked my brother after he had fallen through a glass window, spanked him, then spanked my cousin, and then pulled me off the sofa and spanked me. And my mom was like, now you're heard. And my dad was like, now you know. And this is what I knew from that day forward. If my cousin and my brother were getting in trouble, don't be in the same room. So if you haven't heard and you don't know, you go here and you go know. Right? We knew what day not to mess with them too. You didn't mess with your parents on church days. You got spanked in Jesus' name on that day, right? And we think that, that my dad would forget. He didn't forget. You'd fall asleep in the car, let him carry you in the house. Some of y'all don't know about that. Carry you all the way in the house. Those are church kids growing up. That's us. He'd carry us all the way into the house, set us down on the bed, and then say, wake up. I know you're not asleep. And then spank you and say, go to sleep. You'll sleep like a baby now. You'll cry yourself to sleep. <laughs> but as we move on, there's four things we need to know and remember about God. And it says it inside of this scripture. One, he is an everlasting God. Deuteronomy 33, 27 says this. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath all the everlasting arms, he will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Psalms 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jeremiah 10 and 10 says, But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Somebody say everlasting. The next thing we want, you to know, we want you to know about God for your comeback is he is the creator. Isaiah 42 and 5 says this, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk on it. Whether you believe in God or not, you are breathing air because he created you. Isaiah 43, 7 says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Colossians 3, 10. We read in scripture today. Is that all right? For by him, all things were created. Somebody say all things that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or principalities, or power, watch this, all things were created through him and for him. And even in the end, watch this, Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. The next thing we want you to see is that God does not faint or become weary. Psalms 121, 1 through 4 says, I will lift up my eyes, 
to the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Can I stop there for a second? You ain't crying out to just another God. You ain't crying out to just another idol. You ain't crying out to Jehovah Junior. The same earth you shout from is the same earth he created. He will not allow your feet to be moved. Oh my God, I love this scripture. Watch this. He who keeps you will not slumber. God don't get tired. He don't get fatigued. God don't need Red Bull. God don't need a nap. God don't need to rest his eyes. God don't need to sit down for a second. God don't need to take a day off. God doesn't need a vacation. You ready for this? <coughs> God is no older now than he was when he created heaven and earth. You know why? Because he's eternal. Someone said, how old is God? And the answer is, he is. How young is God? And the answer is, how powerful is God? And the answer is, as a matter of fact, Moses says, who do I say has sent me? And he says, say I am that I am. And whatever it is you need, he is who he is. He don't rest. He don't take a day off. He don't fail. He doesn't falter. He don't rest his feet. He doesn't need orthopedic shoes. God, you know what? what you ready for this? God doesn't have gray hair and a long beard because he don't age. You and I get older and tired and worn, but God don't. See, God is as God is as powerful today as he was when you were a kid. And he'll be as powerful when your kids grow up. The question is, is that the God of whom we will confess and speak and teach to our children? I don't want my kids to know that my God is a hip God. I don't want my kids to know that my God is my homeboy. I don't want my kids to know even that my God is just my friend. I want them to know that my God is a powerful God. I want them to know that my God is a healing God. I want them to know that my God baptizes you with Holy Ghost in fire. I don't serve a God of smoke. I serve a God of a consuming fire. Oh, I don't want to tell them, you know what? Maybe God will answer. I don't want to tell them, maybe God is big enough. I want to tell them God is bigger than your need. He's bigger than your issue. He's bigger than your problem. My God. Someone says, should I really force Jesus on my kids? Absolutely you should. Well, I want them to make the decision when they're old enough to make that decision. Until then, you're going to listen to mom and dad. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this generation says, isn't that democratic? In my house, it's not a democracy. It's God, then daddy, then mama, then you. Know your place and know your God, and we're going to be just fine. I told you old school today. And the last thing that I want you to know is that his understanding is beyond us. 
Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. Says the Lord, looks in verse 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth. You know why we've never been to heaven? Because we're on earth. Someone put a phrase of their preaching the other day that says, you'll never go to another dimension until you experience the Holy Ghost. And I wanted to respond and say, you ain't going to another dimension unless you are raptured or die. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, hold on. It's because I need water. <laughs> you know why we say stuff like that? Because we don't read our Bibles. You know why we say stuff like that? Because we ain't in the word. Oh, this is going to sound good. Yeah, it's also lies sound great. Right? Telling me I look skinny sounds good. It doesn't mean it's the truth. <laughs> we were in Africa one time. They said, you're not worried about being bit by mosquitoes? I said, mosquitoes ought to be worried about biting me. That mosquito will come up, suck my blood, and fly away with diabetes. You don't watch out. <laughs> you know, said, you're going to bleed. If I bleed, I bleed chocolate milk. I'll tell you that much. God is good. God is good. <laughs> he says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Look at Romans 11, 33 and 34. Look at this. All oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Mm. Somebody say, God's smarter than I am. Watch this part. How unsearchable are his judgments. And unfathomable his ways. You know, there are so many things we'd have victory of if we stopped trying to figure out God. Well, God, you need to make me understand you. If God made you understand him, you'd explode. That's the truth. Some of us can't handle what we know now, let alone if we knew what God knew. You wouldn't be able to look at people the same way. You wouldn't be able to look at yourself the same way. Huh? Discernship is a beast because you say, God, I'd rather be ignorant than know the follies of men. Right? Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Let me read it one more time. All oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? I want you to know that real quick. Because the next thing we want to get to is that he sees the weak. We're almost there. He sees the weak, the powerless, the faint, and the weary, one of the greatest lies of the enemy is to make you think that God doesn't see you. Myself and Aaliyah were on our way to church on Thursday. I shared this with the English class. And she said, Daddy, what's the greatest lie of the devil? I said, that God doesn't exist. And the second one is that he doesn't exist. The third one is that you mean nothing. And the fourth one is that you mean everything. But he sees the weak, he sees the powerless, he sees the faint, 
and he sees the weary. And we read that in verse 29. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no mighty increases strength. Verse 30, even the youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall utterly fall. No matter how you feel coming in here today, no matter how you got yourself into this house or what condition you showed up in or if you had to drag yourself through the doors, I want you to know this right now. He can give you strength. Uh, just because you showed up weak doesn't mean you need to leave weak. You can come in down, but you don't need to leave destroyed. You can come in with calamity, but you can leave with a comeback. doesn't matter how you got here. And not only does he give you strength for now, but he never stops giving you strength if you understand who he is. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, and he said to me, watch this, I love this verse. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know what that means? That means that other people's grace isn't sufficient for you. That means that another God can't give you the grace that God can give you. Because God's grace is the only grace that's fully wrapped up in who he is, not who you are. See, you don't get the grace of God because of what you deserve. Grace itself is what you get because of what you don't deserve. See, if someone were to say, do you deserve to be a preacher? Do you deserve to be an evangelist? Do you deserve to travel the world? Do you deserve to even be holding this microphone? No, but I'm a witness today that his grace is sufficient. Do you deserve to be where you're at? No, but his grace is sufficient. Do you deserve to have what you have? No, but his grace is sufficient. Oh, it's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm waiting for somebody to get excited. Oh, do we have some undeserving people here today? Do we have some undeserving people here today? See, when you think you deserve it, you sit back and cross your arms and you go, come on, brother. I deserve to hear the best. But when you don't deserve it, his grace is sufficient. Oh, let me get everybody in the room. When you were sick and God healed you, his grace was sufficient. When your family was going to fall apart and he kept it together, his grace was sufficient. When your marriage was hurting and he healed it again, his grace is sufficient. Come on, somebody. His grace is everlasting. His grace is sufficient. Watch. Oh my God, we're almost there. Watch this. Why is his grace sufficient? Because his grace not only works when we are weak, his grace is so powerful. Watch this. That my strength, this is what Paul says, my strength is made perfect in my weakness. His grace is so good that he perfects you through your weakness. See, my grace might just hold something off, but God's grace will perfect your faith. I got to get through this. See, I feel something in the Holy Ghost right now. I feel something in the Holy Ghost. And I'm, I'm going to say, is this all right? 
Is it all right if I say this? God's trying to get us today to a grateful place so that he can give you what you don't deserve. See, some of us act like we deserve what we got. So God will give you exactly what you deserve. You know why you're going through that trouble? Because you deserve it. You know why you're suffering that way? Because you deserve it. You know why you're having issues? Because you deserve it. It's not until we tap in to the grace of God do we see the blessings that we don't deserve. It's okay. Sit there. Cross your arms. Act like you deserve it all. You're going to get everything you deserve. But if there's somebody grateful that says, I don't even deserve what I got. I don't even deserve the coat I'm wearing or the shoes I got on my feet and God's like because you know that I'm going to bless you again I'm going to take care go ahead and stay seated but I want some people that know that you didn't deserve any of this but here you are you didn't deserve to be what you are but here you are you didn't deserve to have that business or that home or that car but here you are because it's grace Oh, I want you to take 30 seconds and just give him some I don't deserve it praise. You deserve to be strung out. You deserve to be a drunk. You deserve to be a gangbanger. You deserve to be in broken relationship after broken relationship. So get over yourself and say, I don't deserve it, but God has been good. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. See, because when you understand his grace, that's when victory gets unlocked in your life. My sister knows she don't deserve it, but here she is right there in the second row giving glory to God. See, I don't deserve it, but I'll take it because his grace is sufficient. You want to know what sufficient means? It means it's good enough. It means it's full. It means it's whole. It means it'll fill in every empty space in my life. His grace is sufficient to me. Oh, my God. Oh, I wish somebody would just give him some I don't deserve it worship. Oh, my God. My God. My God. My God, my God, my God. Somebody asked me not too long ago, how do you feel about what you've lost recently? And I told them I don't deserve what I got. So you can have whatever you want, God. Everything you've given me, I don't deserve it anyhow. Oh, my God. Can you excuse some of us people that remember who we were and that no, we don't deserve it? I want some people that say, I don't deserve any of it, and that's why I dance. I don't deserve any of it, and that's why I shout. I don't deserve any of it, and that's why I praise the way I do. Come on, we need some Pentecostal apostolics here today. You know why? Because when I know I don't deserve it, I speak in tongues a little more. I dance a little more. I shout a little more. Woo. He says my strength is made perfect in my weakness. Oh, you're going to like this next part. Watch this. Therefore, most gladly I would rather boast in my infirmities. 
You want me to praise God because I'm sick? Yup. Because if you can praise him when you're sick. He said, I'd rather boast of my infirmities. Yo, somebody gets this. That the power of Christ. You want to be a powerless Christian? Be an ungrateful one. You want to be a powerless Christian? Start weeping over yourself. You want to be a powerless Christian? Sing a sappy song. But if you want to be a power-filled Christian, start glorifying God when everything's going wrong. You want to be a power-filled Christian? Start praising God when you should be crying. You want to be a powerful Christian? Start dancing when everybody else says sit down. You want to be a powerful Christian? Preach his word when everybody says shut up. Ah, uh, his grace is sufficient. Ooh. I take pleasure in my infirmities. I feel the Holy Ghost. I could finish this message. And I want you to get what God has for you. But I feel like there's a couple of people that are like, I can't wait for my neighbor to get this. I just got to get this for myself now. I can't wait for Johnny come bench woman to finally think God's worth it and stands to his feet. I'm going to go ahead and shout right in front of him. So look at him and say, excuse me if my sweat falls on you. Excuse me if my praise makes you uncomfortable. Excuse me if my worship gets in your path. God's been too good. Hey! Oh, let me finish this part. 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 Just bring the musicians up and, and have church with me. Don't send me to a funeral. Let's go to church. Say, let, let me give this to you real quick because I want somebody to get this. Verse 31 says what? But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Anybody waiting? Say, if I'm waiting, he's renewing me. If I'm waiting, he's working still. But if I wait, my strength will be renewed. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. You know why some of us sound like turkeys? Because we didn't learn how to wait on God, so we don't know what it is to soar like eagles. But I want to know, is anybody ready to fly today? I want to know, is anybody ready to take flight and say it's my time for a comeback? I've been sitting on the ground too long. I've been eating with the chickens and listening to the turkeys too long. It's time for me to... It's time for me to soar like a knee. Oh, God. See, now you can come up if you want to because the Holy Ghost done took over. And if you'll find where you're at, stay where you're at. But if it's time for your comeback, don't sit where you're at no more. Run up to this altar and say, today is my day. <laughs>